out hard. Love you. I receive it. So if you realize in the last, uh, this is week five that I began this series called All Mixed Up. And uh, last week, Pastor Randy brought us a great word about faith or fear. He talked about, you know, the, the drunk monkey, that saboteur in us. It was so powerful. I've been, been dealing with that scoundrel all week. And uh, today I've got another part of this, and it's part five, and it's called Flawed or Awesome. And I'm going to, I, I, I want you to bear with me. I'm going to kind of introduce this. I went through some of my old files, and for some reason, we're not working on, oops. So here's one of my old, some of you who are at my age remember back in the day when our wives put on house dresses and aprons and permed their hair and put on their lipstick and started doing housework. Some of you remember that. I I don't remember it, but anyway. Um, and then they would go about cleaning the house, and you know, and this was how life was portrayed in commercials and things. You know, you remember you know, none of y'all are going to remember some of these shows because you you remember like Leave It to Beaver, and you know how she, she was just so like on it. The house was spotless, and and it showed life like that, and. And, uh, and, and, and this is what a living room would look like in television. This is actually, since my wife was left town, this is how my house looks now that I got her out of town. <laughs> and uh, actually, that's not true. But, uh, but, but this is how life is portrayed, is, is this life, you know? And have any of y'all, your house ever been that clean? Mm, not me either. This is what my house looks like. I took this picture this morning on the way out the door. Just teach my wife to leave town on me. And um, this is kind of like how life is. I mean, really, it's, it's, you know, this is how we live our life. Living rooms should be lived in. I remember I had a family member who had one of those houses that uh, there were certain rooms that were off limits, you know, and she had put plastic over all the couches and stuff. And you could, they weren't, I mean, it was terrible to sit in them too. But, and then the thing is, I mean, you know, nobody ever got in the room, nobody ever used the room, and, and, and it was like, for what? What's the purpose of this room? It was to impress people, I guess, because I, I never really wanted to have a room that, that was just to impress people. I want to live in my house, right? Don't you want to live in your house? And, and so I don't have a problem with stuff, a little few things on the floor, <laughs> a few little things on the floor. I don't have a problem with that. How many of you, how many know that you can clean your house and 15 minutes later, this is what it'll look like when you turn the kids loose? I mean, this is how it is. And so this, this kind of portrays life. And so I want to get into this this morning with this thought because life is messy, just want you to understand this. Life is messy. Everybody say it with me. Life is messy. I don't think there is such a life that's so clean and pristine that it's spotless. I think if you're living life, you understand that life is messy. 
I think if I was ever to launch another church, I would call it the messy church. Because that's what church is. Church is messy. You know, if, you're, if your church is really clean, it tells me there's something wrong with your church then. Because church is about people who come who are broken. And when broken people come, it makes things messy. Say amen. amen. When I came to the Lord, I was a mess. I didn't come to the Lord and, you know, clean my act up and then say, okay, here I am, Lord. I came and I was a mess. And I presented myself to the Lord. So I'm going to use today a, a, a portion of scripture out of 2 Samuel chapter 9. And we're going to talk about this messiness and, and how it's represented and how, it's, how it looks in our lives. And so in 2 Samuel 9, you're going to find a story about uh, King David. And King David has just taken the throne from Saul after Saul's death. And... Um, as he's preparing to take the throne in uh, 2 Samuel 9, the king, David, asked this question, is there anyone left in Saul's family? That's an interesting question because Saul's family had just been through a, its own mess. You know, King Saul had, uh, had started out really well, but, but his family, him and his family, were decimated. And we're going to talk about that and talk about the mess that, that Saul created in his family. And, and, but here, David's asked this question because almost all of Saul and his family were, were, were killed in the, in the last battle and the results of the last battle. And so David's asking this question and he says, is there anyone left in Saul's family? I want to show God's kindness to this person. So he's genuinely, because David's heartbroken over, over this, and, and I'll explain to you part of his heart being broken over Saul, because typically Saul and David did not have a really good relationship. Saul did not like David very much at the end of his life, and even he brought uh, David into the, into the uh, palace he started trying to kill and plot to destroy David because of he, was, he became jealous and envious of David and his success. And so, but David's heart is, I want to show kindness, God's kindness to this person. So I want you to see that heart of David. That is the heart of David, that someone that wants to show kindness, somebody that wants to bring kindness. There's been enough fighting, there's been enough war, there's been enough... Uh, uh, spear chucking. It's time to show God's kindness. And so as we get into this, I want you to see in from this, uh, here, here's out of uh, 2 Samuel 9, it says, here's the answer to David's question. Now listen to this. Jonathan has a son still living. He was, he was really the only relative left in Saul's house. And this son actually belonged to Jonathan, who Jonathan and David had this very special relationship. Jonathan and David were like blood brothers. And Jonathan even loved David more than he loved his own dad. Yes, he did. That's, it's true. You, you, you can peruse this. I don't have time to get into all of the scriptures, but I'm going to show it to you and you in, in just explain it to you. So Jonathan and David have this special relationship Jonathan got killed 
in the battle that Saul got killed in. Because Saul went out into a battle that he should have never went into the way that he went into and how he went into it. And it not only cost Saul his life, but it cost, uh, it cost Jonathan's life as well. And both of them were killed in this battle. And then Jonathan is left and, and the other sons of, of Saul were, were actually assassinated, which is an inter- in- interesting story. But I don't have time to get into that today. So Jonathan has a son still living. Now listen to this. He is crippled in both feet. He is crippled in both feet. And I'll I'll show you what happened there and why. The king said to Ziba, where is this son? Now this is important. We'll come back to this too. He said, Ziba said to the king... He is at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lodibar. And so I want you to think about these because these things are going to be important in a minute. Then King David, now follow the wording here. Then King David sent some of his officers to Lodibar to bring Jonathan's son from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, Jonathan's son, now here's a good one for you, Mephibosheth. That's, that's, the, he, that's the English pronunciation. In, in the Hebrew, it's... But in the English, it's Mephibosheth. So everybody say this with me because I'm going to preach to you this morning. How many of you have never heard a message on Mephibosheth? Raise your hand. Today you're going to hear the greatest message you have ever heard on Mephibosheth. Say it with me, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. Oh, wait a minute, Mephibosheth. Good, you got it. Now, Jonathan's son's name is important here. We're going to see why. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, came to David and bowed with his face low to the floor. Now, here here was part of his humility was that in the in the practice of of the kings of those days. What would generally happen is when the king called the family in, he killed them all because he did not want any plots or assassination attempts against his life. And generally, the former king and new king's uh, agendas were so different that they would generally kill all those in in the former king's house. But David's really got a heart to show God's kindness to Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth does not even know why is the king calling me because he knew in the back of his mind this could be a bad thing. And so he comes in very humbly. Now listen, he came and he bowed with his face low to the floor. In other words, he didn't come in arrogant. He didn't come in all uh, boasting He came in very humble and he bowed his face to the floor. Now let's read on. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth. This is 2 Samuel 4.4. I'm going to explain to you why he was lame in his feet. He wasn't born lame. But something had happened. Now look at what it says. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Now so now we're back in chapter 4. 
He was five years old when the news came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed. So because the enemies had defeated Saul and Jonathan, now he's a a wanted man because generally your enemies would hunt up all the family and they would kill all your family and then there was the next king coming in so he he you understand he was he felt like his life was under threat now here's what happened when this news came the woman who cared for Mephibosheth picked him up and ran away so she scoops him up he's 5 years old and she's running to try to save him because she has been committed to guard his life. But while running away, she dropped the boy. She dropped him. And when she dropped him, he became crippled in both feet. So something really went wrong. She didn't just drop him. She, she was responsible for the fact that However, she dropped him, it broke bones and caused him to be crippled in both feet. You see that? So this is Mephibosheth, the last of Saul's house, the one who was spared, being trying to be rescued, but in the, in the journey... He is dropped, and he becomes crippled. So I want you to get that picture in your mind, all right? Now, the word to puff, to blow away shame, is the literal meaning of the name Mephibosheth. The word Mephib means to to blow or to disperse. This is really powerful because somebody here today is going to get set free in this place this morning. Some of you came in here crippled this morning. Someone dropped you. Something happened to you. And you have been crippled in your feet. Your journey has been difficult. Your journey has been hard. But today, you're going to learn the lesson of the kindness of a king. The kindness of a king who looked for a way to show God's kindness Hmm. on a young man whose family had been wrought in great shame. Because if you think about it, you think about Saul and Saul's house and how Saul began. Saul began in such great potential. The Bible says when Samuel looked for this king to anoint, that Saul stood head and shoulders above everyone in the nation. He was a handsome man. He was athletic looking. He was, he was, he was different in his, in his stature and in his, in his life than anyone else. And, and when he comes to the house of, uh, of Samuel. God speaks to Samuel and he says, that, that man right there is the next king of Israel. 
And so Samuel anoints Saul with king. You can read all of this in 1 Samuel 9. Go back a book, 1 Samuel chapter 9, and you're going you're gonna to read this whole story. I'm just going to tell it to you. And so Samuel anoints Saul as king. But we see the beginning of a man with great, a great potential. But his life ended in a great deal of shame. Because he had a stubborn and a rebellious heart. All the potential that God had put in him meant nothing because God was not able to follow through with him in a transformed heart. Can I just tell you this morning that it doesn't matter how much potential you have until God changes you, you will never come into your full purpose or destiny. I don't care how talent, your talent will not be enough. Your talent, your gifts are never enough. You have to let God transform you. You have to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ to come into your purpose and your destiny. Your gift will make room for you, but it's the salvation of Jesus Christ that will keep you in the room. It's the power of God that changes a man's heart that will put him in a place where he can not only stand on a platform, he can stay there and not come down in shame, guilt, and condemnation. Saul had potential, but potential is nothing without a transformed heart. So what you see, listen, Saul t- uh, Samuel tells Saul after he anoints him, he says, when you leave here, you're going to run into some things. He tells him about some men you're going to meet that have sacrifices. You're going to make these sacrifices. It's kind of like what, we f- what the flow of the service was this morning. People brought him. People brought to Saul bread and animals and, and everything. And Saul was instructed to offer up the sacrifice to God. How many, are you, how many of you are tracking with me? And then he says, not only are you going to meet these, but when you get to this place, you're going to run into some prophets. And when you get around these prophets, you're, the spirit of prophecy is going to fall on you and you're going to begin to prophesy. Remember two weeks ago when I preached to you about finding your people? You see, that Samuel was telling him, you're going to meet some new people. New people are coming into your life. And when you get with these new people, the Spirit of God is going to fall on you. And the Bible says Saul was walking along, ran into these prophets, and he began to prophesy. Now listen to me. It's time we stop being afraid of the gifts and the callings of God. It's time we release God to do what he wants to do. I'm going to tell you, God can use little people. He can use young people. He can use old people. You're never too old. There is no junior Holy Ghost. I pay attention when young people speak into me or about things because I know God speaks. He, He said little children will lead you. He said in the last days your sons and daughters will prophesy. Saul gets around these prophets, and here's what's, here's what's powerful. You read this in, in 1 Samuel 9, I think it's in 19 and 20. It says, when Saul began to prophesy, God turned him into another man. No, that's what it says. It says God turned him into another man. You know what's awesome is when you get around the people that God has ordained. Some people walk in here, and they don't even know what they're walking into. 
but they feel the burning in their spirit. They feel God suddenly rising up on the inside of them. And the reason that you need to be in a place like this is because this is a place of transformation. We're not here to play church and have religious exercises. We're here to be changed. We're here to let God transform us and then take that transformation out into a world that's broken and see that the Lord is good. And so he's transformed into it. Here's the problem. You know what he did? He didn't stay with those people. Hello? 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 He didn't stay with his people. He went back to his old people. And then his old, old stuff came back. And so Saul, in his first test, his very first test, when he's told to go and wait for Samuel... Because in seven days, he's going to show up, and you're going to offer up a sacrifice with Samuel. And then you're going to go and defeat the Philistines and see it was God's way to set him up and show him to be the leader of the people. But he gets there, and on the seventh day, there's no Samuel. It's morning. Hey, where's Samuel? Oh, man, it's getting late. It's like half a shadow on the sundial here. Can I just tell y'all something? God doesn't own a wristwatch. And when God tells you to do something, you should just wait on him. It got later and later, and he freaked. And instead of doing what God had instructed him to do, he took the position of Samuel And he offered up a sacrifice that he had no business offering up. Can I just tell you that there are certain things you need to do what God's asking you to do. And quit doing what God has not asked you to do. And so he freaks, he offers up this sacrifice. All of a sudden here comes Samuel and says, Saul, what are you doing? Well, I, 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 I panicked because the people were starting to get nervous and, and the people were starting to leave me and the people were starting to complain. And here's, here was the test of his leadership there. You know what it was? He cared more about what the people thought than what God thought. Our love and our approval of people will drive us to sin against God if we're not careful. And Saul offers this sacrifice. Samuel rebukes him, says, this isn't a good start. Not at all. But it gets worse. I mean, if you read his life, he, 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 he's told then, go fight the Amlekites. Amlekites, 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 whatever. Mosquito bites, whatever you want to call them. He's told to destroy everything. Don't bring back anything, but you know the story. He goes and fights the Amalekites. They defeat him. He keeps the best of the sheep, the best of the oxen. He keeps the best of the leadership, the king and everything, and he brings them back, and Samuel comes, and he says, he says, how did it go, Saul? He said, oh, it was great. God gave us great victory today. Did you do what the Lord told you to do, Saul? Yes, I did. I did everything God told me to do, and all of a sudden, he hears in the background, Bah! Saul, what's that sound? 
What's the sound of sheep? He said, oh, we saved the best of the sheep and the best of the flocks and the best of the herds because we're going to give God a sacrifice. And Samuel says, you didn't obey the Lord. You didn't obey the Lord. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. And because of that today, God has rent the kingdom from you. And that, be, that was the beginning of the end of Saul's reign. It got messier and messier. It got so bad that instead of seeking God, Saul was about to go into battle. And he goes to a witch at Endor and he says, should I go into this battle or not? And the witch says, oh yeah, go, go for it. It's a lying spirit, a familiar spirit. It was, a, it was demonic. But the point is that he went to seek a witch instead of seeking the Lord. This is how twisted up we can get once we get down the wrong path and our life becomes a mess and we start adding bad decisions on top of other bad decisions and our life just gets so messed up. And I'm telling you, there's so much of our lives that are in the messes we're in because of the decisions we've made. And we made one decision and then a bad decision on top of that decision. And then all of a sudden, we're out there and we're all alone and our lives are a mess. And there's great shame. Saul goes out into that battle and Saul ends up dying in that battle. He got wounded and he actually ended up killing himself or asking somebody to help end his life. And then Jonathan, he, he took an arrow and he died. Then his other sons were assassinated. And in that day, great shame was brought on the house of Saul. You get, are you getting with me? You say, Pastor Mike, that's so negative. Here, but here, here's why I told you all that. Here comes Mephibosheth. The word Mephibosheth means to puff or to blow away or to disperse. And the word uh, Besheth means shame. To blow away shame. So here's all this shame on this household of, 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 of David, or of Saul, uh, Saul, I'm sorry. And all of this tragedy and all of this stuff. And, and Saul had lived from this old man and, and he just could not get the idea of staying where God had put him, doing what God told him to do. And because of all the shame and everything, it cost him and it cost his family dearly. But then David, the king, the man who's after God's heart, steps up and says, does Jonathan, is there anybody left in the household of Saul that I can show God's kindness to him? Yes, there's a Mephibosheth. And so what David, is, what David does is he says, he says, bring him here. Because shame is a powerful thing. Now listen to me. Some of you are living under guilt and shame. Shame is a very powerful thing. Shame is a very powerful thing. Shame will keep you locked in your past instead of being able to embrace your future. Shame keeps you reminded of what you've done instead of where you're going. Shame is a reminder of your failures and not your future promises. Shame will keep you from seeking God. Shame will keep you from, from being able to come into the presence of God. That's why Saul went. He, he couldn't go to God. He was ashamed. But he went to a witch instead as a substitute because he could not stand in the presence of God for his shame. 
Shame keeps you hidden among the stuff. In, in chapter 10, verse 22, it says, when they went to find Saul to introduce him to the people, they said, it says they found him hidden among the stuff. Why? Because of shame. Paul had, or Saul had this sense of shame about him. Remember when Samuel even called him out? His sense of shame bled out of him. He said, why would you call me and anoint me? I am the least of my father's house, and my father's house is the least of the tribes. We're, we're nothing. The, the sh- sense of shame was overwhelming. And you see, it's really hard to serve God in love and freedom if you are hounded by guilt and shame. So I'm going to tell you, the three C's for the crippled, all right? I'm going to go over these with you, three C's for the crippled. Number one is you're called. See, when David put the word out, he said, uh, is there anybody in Saul's house that I may show kindness to. And, they, and, and uh, Ziba said, yes, Jonathan had a son, Meshiba. Mama, Nemo. Mephibosheth. And he said, here's what he said. Call him here. Tell him, to come, tell him I want him. Tell him I want to see him. Can I tell you that the answer to the shame that you and I carry is all swallowed up in the fact that when we come to God, we do not come to him of our own volition. We do not come and seek him. It's him who's coming and seeking us. We did not call ourselves. He called you. You did not choose him. He chose you. And when he looked out, he said, is there anyone left that I may show kindness? And they said, Mephibosheth. They said, call him here. I want to tell you, listen to me, church. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. I don't care your past all the stigma and all the stuff that the enemy has tried to pile on you, when you come before God's face, you're there because he called you. He said, is there anyone I can show kindness to? Bring him here. Bring him to me because it's the heart of the Father to bring kindness. It's the heart of the Father to bring forgiveness. It's the heart of the Father to put you out of your shame and out of your guilt and out of your condemnation. said, call him. You see, that's how God does us. He calls us. There's not one of you here today that did not get here by the fact that you are called of God. Let me, some of you are sitting here and you are sinning as hard as you can and as much as you can, and it doesn't negate the fact that you're still called of God. You listen, you say, oh, how could they be called of God? Listen to me. I was called of God from my mother's womb. I have run really hard away from God. But look at me today. I ran right into the arms of a loving God who called me and separated me from my mother's womb. Don't you tell me you can't get out of where you're at. Don't you tell me you can't break free of your past. God's called you by name. 
Hallelujah. Come on, shout amen, somebody. He didn't just call you. He called you by name. Yeah, but you don't understand what I've done. Oh, but you don't understand what he's done to wipe your shame away. He's not here to tell you. Listen to me. He's not here to tell you shame on you. I'm here to tell you today his work, his cross, his blood means shame off you. Look at your neighbor and say, shame off you. You remember when your parents used to tell you that? Shame on you. Remember how that caused you to cower? And God looks at you and he says, shame off you. Some of you listen to me. He's calling you by name. I don't care how crippled you are. He's calling you by name. Shame off you. Where where would we be without a loving Savior that called us? Called, chosen of God. Yeah, he called us. In the midst of our mess, my life was a mess, and he called me in my mess. I'll never forget the first time I heard him call my name and say, Mike, come to me. And I remember, how could I say no? I was a young man, strung out, drinking, drugging, rocking, rolling, What a mess. And I heard him say, Mike, come to my table. And I'm like, Lord, I remember what it felt like when I came back to reality and realized, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord, I'm crippled. Lord, I'm crippled. You see, he called Mephibosheth. He called him. Bring him here to me. But here's the problem. He was crippled. Did you think that that stopped David from getting him? You know what he did? He appointed servants. Listen to me. He appointed servants to carry him into the king's palace. I wish you could wrap your mind around that. Here was a man that could never get to the palace. He could never get to the palace. He was crippled. But the king said, bring him to me. They carried him. Can I tell you that's what the church is here for? The church is the transportation to the transformation. You don't get changed by just coming to church. But we can carry people into the king's presence. 
And we're the transporters of the transformers. <laughs> Praise God. Carried him. They carried him into the presence of the king. See, that's the only way any of us could get here. I want to tell you, none of you came on your own two feet. Somebody had to carry you. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody witnessed to you. Somebody loved you when you were unlovable. And somebody carried you right into the throne of God where God said, come on, sit at my table. And so you see, he was carried. And then it says this in verse 7. David says to Mephibosheth, he says, Mephibosheth, I'm going to restore all the stuff that your family's lost. All the shame, all the guilt, all the sin, all the mess. I'm going to restore all of it back to you. Can I listen to me, church? It's, it's, God just doesn't forgive us. He restores everything that's been taken, everything, all, this, all the hurt. All of us were children at one time, full of hope, brimming with possibilities. And then the enemy has just crippled us and people have dropped us. How many of you have been dropped by somebody who was supposed to be taking care of you? How many of you have been dropped by somebody who was supposed to have your best interest at heart and instead you wound up broken? You ended up crippled. You ended up lame because they dropped you. And it says they brought him to the king and David says, I'm going to restore. And here's what he says. Now listen. And he says, you shall always... Sit at my table. You shall all, never again did Jonathan eat another meal except it be at the king's table. Now, here's the beautiful thing about this as the worship team's getting ready to come, they're coming. And we're getting ready to watch God disperse, dispel, blow away shame off people's lives. See, the beautiful thing is, no matter how lame you are, when you come to the king's table and you sit, you notice something funny about this? You can't see my lameness. You can't see my lameness. You can't tell I'm crippled. It doesn't even matter that I'm crippled because I'm sitting at the king's table. The king says, I got something for you. Are you hungry? Are you tired of carrying that load of guilt and shame? See, remember when I told you he came from Lodabar? The word Lodabar means the place of no pasture. Mephibosheth was living in a place that had no hope, no future hope. Nothing could provide for him. Nothing could sustain him. Lodibar, the place of no pasture. Let me, let, listen to me, church. There's no hope outside of Jesus. There's no pasture anywhere. But when you make the Lord your shepherd, 
He will make you to lie down in green pastures. He will prepare a table before you, even in the presence of your enemies. And he's not looking at your crippledness. He's inviting your presence to sit with him. guys to sing that sing that come to the come to the table come to the water whatever I, I want you to bow your heads with me this morning he that hath an ear let him hear behold I stand at the door and knock if any man will hear my voice and open the door I will come in and I will sup with him